Welcome to Mary's Cup of Tea, the self-love podcast for women. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski, an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that will inspire you to love yourself. Hello, self-lover. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, I want to make sure you know about my two books on self-love. If you're struggling with body image or self-acceptance, then I highly recommend you check out my first book, The Gift of Self-Love. It's a comprehensive workbook to help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to love who you are. Thousands of people have this book and the five-star reviews are so amazing. They give me so much life. So I hope that this is something that can help you too. You can get it wherever books are sold by searching for The Gift of Self-Love or go to my website, maryscupoftea.com slash book. After releasing The Gift of Self-Love and reading all your positive feedback, I realized that we really needed something to keep us going every single day. So not a deep dive workbook, but maybe like a micro dose of self-love in your daily life, which is why I wrote 100 Days of Self-Love. It's a guided journal with, you guessed it, 100 prompts that cover so many areas of life, including body, identity, purpose, emotions, mindset, relationships, and more. So you can really think of it as a metaphor multivitamin, something to keep you going, or as I like to say, growing on your self-love journey. You can get this journal wherever books are sold as well by searching for 100 Days of Self-Love or go to maryscupoftea.com slash journal. It's my mission to share all the self-love tea with you, so I hope that both my books and this podcast can do just that. With the holidays right around the corner, despite the joy that they're supposed to bring, holiday season often comes with a load of stress. Family drama is heightened. We have bosses to please for those end of year quarter four reports. Maybe there's extra financial strain on your family given the shopping and gift giving expectations we have to meet. Extra social events which come with extra food. This time of year, it is especially common to turn to food as a coping mechanism. So today I wanted to talk about stress eating. I've done quite a few episodes on healing our relationship to food. I've talked openly about my eating disorder, struggling with bulimia and then binge eating, and how I came to find a sense of peace and acceptance with my body to a point where I can confidently say that food has zero control over me. It's not something that I think about or stress about. And I'll link some of those episodes for you in the description. However, stress eating is its own particular type of experience because you don't have to have disordered eating or a full-blown eating disorder to know that Stress eating doesn't always leave us feeling good. If anything, it leaves us feeling more stressed and more ashamed and can lead to pretty complicated feelings and doesn't really solve the thing that we were stressed about in the first place. With that being said, I actually think that turning to food, this emotional eating that so many diet people like to demonize, I actually think that it's a perfectly healthy and normal coping mechanism. I know that's a big statement that a lot of people might disagree with, but here's the one key nuance. Turning to food is normal and can be healthy and can even be helpful. Maybe you do feel soothed 
when you're crunching on a bag of chips or a little more relaxed when you have a warm brownie in front of you as you watch your favorite show. Food can provide relief and comfort and pleasure and joy. That's ultimately a big reason why we eat, hence why I don't really like food as fuel, because yes, it fuels your body, but it also can nourish your soul. Stress eating becomes a problem when food is our only, our main, our ride-or-die coping mechanism that we just frantically need right now and there's nothing else that we can turn to that'll make us feel better and it's filled with agitation and frantic energy and a sense of urgency and rush and also loaded with guilt and shame. See how that's a totally different energy than... I had a rough day and all I want is to curl up on the couch with a bowl of popcorn because it's salty and mm, and the vibes are just on point. And that is actually how I decompress. Totally different. So the nuance here is that stress eating becomes a problem when it's the only way we have to cope with stress. We all know other healthier coping mechanisms. So I'm sharing with you here that I'm not trying to take you away from food and and tell you to like go take a walk instead of eating because that is just not, it's just not it. That's not really what I believe food needs to be about. You know, again, avoidance, abstinence, control. I don't like any of that. Instead, maybe some days you turn to the bag of chips, the cookies, the brownies, the extra leftover Halloween candy that you have laying around your house. And other times you maybe turn to a walk and then come back to the brownie. And it's a little bit more of a well-rounded, soothing, self-soothing coping mechanism that you're employing instead of just food. A couple weeks ago, I shared on my Instagram how I identify as a reducitarian. A reducitarian is somebody who just tries to reduce their consumption of meat because I am not ready to go vegetarian. I think the type of family and community that I'm in, food is such a love language. And me sitting at the dinner table and saying no thank you to a portion of meat is only going to cause a fuss more than it's going to make them cook any less meat. If you can picture my big fat Greek wedding, the family from that movie, that's the kind of family that I have and I'm so grateful for. And I want to share that culturally enriching experience of food with them. So I'm not vegetarian, nor do I think I'll ever go full-blown vegan. I've tried, didn't work for me, just felt too restrictive given my past. But I do care about animals and I do care about the planet and I want to decrease my consumption if only a little bit. So I shared on Instagram how I'm a reducitarian and somebody replied to my Instagram story sharing this fun fact, which I actually fact checked. She said something along the lines of how if everyone gave up their Sunday steak, like once a week, they gave up a portion of meat, it would cause a staggering positive effect on our environment way more so than if one person went full-blown vegan for the rest of their lives. When I fact-checked this, they did the math, and 
if one person did something like Meatless Monday for one year, that would save about three, four animals per person. If you multiply that by the U.S. population, it comes out to 1.4 billion animals spared annually. Billion. One person cannot save 1.4 billion animals, but everyone decreasing just a little bit can help tremendously. And that doesn't even take into effect the land, water, and fossil fuels that might be saved, which they also go on to do the math on. I'm going to link that article in the description in case you're interested. Anyway, that's a little aside because it was the inspiration for how I want to think about stress eating and how I invite you to think about stress eating. I'm like, what is the moral equivalent of like reducing how much you stress eat? I'm like, what's a good word? So as one does, I go on Merriam-Webster Dictionary. I type in different words until I find the one. And the one that I landed on today is mitigate. Mitigate means make less severe, serious, or painful. And I really like that definition because when it comes to stress eating, I want us to mitigate stress eating, i.e. I want us to make stress eating less severe, less serious, and less painful. To do this, we must ask ourselves, what makes stress eating so severe, so serious, and so painful? I have a couple of hypotheses that I can throw out in this podcast episode, but I want you to think about what it is for you personally as I'm talking. To me, stress eating is severe when it is our only or the main coping mechanism that we turn to when we're feeling complicated feelings or dealing with difficult emotions or lack thereof. Sometimes we turn to stress eating because we don't want to feel difficult feelings or deal with challenging emotions. The way to make it less severe is to expand the arsenal of coping tools. Practically speaking, I gave a little example. Maybe you simply delay your afternoon snack and decide that you're going to go on a walk first, take some fresh air, and then come back to your snack. This part's important. You have to come back to your snack. Don't try to restrict yourself from that snack that you were craving. Just push it a little bit, five, 10 minutes into the future. This is going to help you calm your nervous system enough. Hopefully you're doing a little bit of movement or breathing, some kind of meditation. I think a walk beautifully encompasses all of that. You're also hopefully getting some sunshine and fresh air, and that will help you come back to your snack, come back to the food with a totally different mindset, a totally different energy. About three years ago, I started putting together a playlist with uplifting, inspiring, and empowering songs. I originally did this for myself because I love music of all different genres, and every time I would notice a song that just made me feel good, I would add it to my self-love playlist. And now there are over 300 songs on my Spotify self-love playlist, and these tracks are perfect for when you're getting ready, trying to hype yourself up, or going through a struggle and need a reminder for how badass you are. 
if you love music as much as I do, then go to maryscupoftea.com slash playlist to get the Spotify link. It will ask you for your email so that I can send you this self-love playlist. And full transparency, this will also put you on my email list where I send out a monthly newsletter about stuff I'm thinking about, personal things, things I don't really share on social media, and all the happenings in the Mary's Cup of Tea world. So go to maryscupoftea.com slash playlist and let's start jamming to my self-love playlist together. I am absolutely obsessed with thinking about the metaphysical effects of food, meaning food isn't just food. It's not black and white. It's not calories in, calories out. It also matters what you're thinking, what you're saying to yourself as you're eating that food. And that'll actually affect how it digests, how it processes biochemically. If you're a doctor or science geek listening to this, you're probably like, that's a load of horseshit, Mary. They haven't done proper scientific research to prove that that's true. I agree with you. The small studies that they've done on how fast does rice rot when you talk positively to it versus if you talk negatively to it. (laughs) Obviously, some of these experiments are a little silly, but they are convincing enough for me to know in my bones that if you eat a burger feeling like shit about yourself, you are going to create a vicious cycle of feeling like shit about yourself because a different energy is going into your body than if you had that same exact burger out with your friends, laughing, having a good time. You're going to go to bed feeling at peace with the great experience that you had shared over burgers. You're going to look back on that memory fondly and that burger is going to digest very differently. You can take that metaphorically. You could take that literally, whatever you want to believe. But this idea of the metaphysics of food greatly helped me heal my relationship with food and eating in general because I told myself my job is to not not eat, not restrict anymore because I just can't do that anymore and I know that it's only making things worse for me. My job in recovery is to heal how I feel about food. And that has nothing to do with food and everything to do with your mindset and energy with which you are consuming. Essentially, stress eating could be a positive and productive way to cope if you feel and believe that it is a positive and productive way to cope. And the only way that you'll probably feel and believe that is if you don't feel so frantic and agitated and terrible about every little thing that you eat and judging yourself for what you are or are not supposed to be eating. Of course, that's a lot easier said than done. So a practical way to apply this is to write a list of other coping mechanisms that you have at your disposal. What are other ways that you deal with stress? Going on a walk, going to a class, calling a friend. And contrary to the articles that you might read or maybe have already read when you Google how to stop stress eating, they're going to tell you to do those things instead of eating. 
I'm telling you to do those things in addition to eating. You need food. It's okay to turn to food. It's not going to make things any better if you try to avoid the bag of chips. Maybe you decide to call a friend while you're munching on them. Or maybe before you turn to the big bowl of brownies, you take a breath, go on a walk, and come back. See if you still want as many as you initially did. If you do, go for it. But you might find that it'll be a little bit easier to have a few brownies instead of the whole platter. Or maybe if you did have the whole platter or you did kill the entire bag of chips and you're feeling some type of terrible way about it, instead of continuing to beat yourself up, maybe you ask yourself, what feeling or emotion or experience am I trying to avoid right now? And you use that as your journal prompt with a cup of tea to again remind yourself that there are other ways to cope besides food. And the first time, the first 10, 100 times, you might stress eat, feel terrible, remember what Mary said in that one podcast episode, okay, fine, I'll make myself this fucking tea and I'll do my fucking journaling and I hate this and I hate myself. And then the second time, you might hate this and hate yourself a little bit less. And then the hundredth time, you think, I actually feel so much better when I have a little snack, a little something, something to soothe my soul while I sip on my tea and I actually indulge and I let myself enjoy all the pleasure that food has to offer. And I'm also going to journal about my feelings because I'm no longer going to numb and avoid and use food to beat myself up because I have other coping tools at my disposal. And that is the journey. Okay, going back to mitigate. Mitigate means make less severe, serious, or painful. I love this second word because it speaks for itself. It is not that serious. The only reason stress eating feels so big and terrible and serious is because you are making it so. It's really not that bad. It's not that serious. So many people do this. It's normal. It's common. It may not be Again, the healthiest thing in the world over time, if you are beating yourself up so much while you're doing it, but as an isolated experience, turning to food to somehow cope or avoid coping with your emotions is not the worst way to deal with things. It is not. You're not going out there killing people. (laughs) You have not failed morally or ethically. The only reason you feel bad when you overeat, whatever that means. Don't completely agree with that term overeat, but sometimes it's the best term that we have to describe the experience. The only reason you feel bad about it is because you tell yourself that you are good or better when you eat perfectly or when you don't eat. And the more you keep attaching moral equivalency to food and how you engage with it, the more you are going to make it a huge part of your identity and the more serious it's going to feel every time you don't meet your own unrealistic expectations. And when I say your own unrealistic expectations, I mean the expectations we've internalized from society about thinness, the value of it, the fears of being bigger, of gaining weight, what we call fat phobia, all of that gets internalized and it is totally not your fault. But now that you know that it's happened and it's happening, we do have 
a responsibility or at least the power to take responsibility to maybe undo some of those deeply rooted beliefs. And sometimes we do that hard work and other times we tell ourselves it is not that serious and you can move on with your life. And I'm giving you the permission slip right now to not always over-intellectualize, explain, (sighs) dig deep, make it hard and heavy. Sometimes you have to just say, fuck it. I ate. I'm a little bloated and I'm going to bed now. We're going to start again tomorrow by eating breakfast because we know that if I continue to restrict, it's only going to make the cycle worse. And I'm going to have a much more rested, fresher, positive perspective on food remembering some of the things that we talked about in this podcast episode. Sometimes it's serious and other times it's not that serious. So if we want to mitigate stress eating, maybe tell yourself, bitch, it's not that serious, okay? (laughs) It's just food. That is helpful sometimes. Okay, now this last part of mitigating stress eating, painful. We need to make it less severe, less serious, which we covered, and now we have to make it less painful. Truthfully, I feel like we already covered this just a second ago, that sometimes it is heavy and painful, and we have to do that deep emotional work of unlearning fat phobic beliefs, healing our relationship to food, coming to a level of acceptance with our bodies, knowing that they will change, they will age, they will expand, they will shrink, they will look differently, they might deal with injury. There's so much that can happen with our body. But if we have a strong body image, meaning actually paradoxically turning away from the body image and seeing our body as a vessel that carries our heart and soul and not attaching too much to its image, basically what we do when we work on body acceptance, sometimes that part of the process is really painful. But if we zoom into stress eating in particular, it's only painful because we have been told that emotional eating is the worst thing that we can possibly be doing, that we are bad or somehow have failed if food is our friend. We make food the enemy. So of course, every single interaction with it is going to feel like a war and wars are painful. It sucks to feel like you're constantly battling your body and fighting food. So how do we make it less so? You must release the shame. And the only way to do this is by recognizing that you're eating, your eating habits, your eating schedule, maybe even the relationship that you have with food. It is never, ever, ever going to be perfect. And that's a good thing because perfection does not allow us to evolve. Let me give you a seemingly unrelated analogy that is kind of the same concept and I hope it resonates with you as much as it does with me. When you go to a couple's therapist to work on your relationship with someone, yes, I'm speaking from personal experience here. Therapy has been so helpful for me and my husband just to navigate life. A therapist is notorious for asking, so what brings you here? And then you probably will proceed to write down some goals that you have for your time in therapy. If you are a couple and you come in with the goal of, we want to stop fighting forever. 
your therapist will likely tell you that that is not a worthwhile goal. And that's exactly what our therapist told us, not because we came in saying we want to stop fighting, but because we were working on some things around conflict avoidance and like different ways that we attach or detach from each other when there's something to discuss. Anyway, our therapist gave this perfect example of we want to stop fighting is not a good goal because the intimacy, the vulnerability, the greater level of understanding, the communication skills that you have to employ in order to fight effectively in a way that leaves your relationship better off after the fight than you were before the fight. I think if you've been in a relationship or just can think about your family or friendships, if you can disagree in such a way and then discuss in such a way, then you ultimately come to a greater understanding of each other. And fighting, not abusive fighting, I'm talking about arguing, butting heads sometimes, there's a certain amount of doing this that is totally normal and healthy and actually makes your relationship better. So I want you to think about your relationship with food in this way too. The goal is to not stop eating or eat perfectly, which is basically the cousin of stop eating. Because nobody does that. That's literally not possible. And you'll just keep sinking into shame the more you have these expectations of yourself to eat perfectly. Instead, think of it as a relationship. And you and your friend food are sitting in couples therapy and you're learning to just fight a little bit more effectively to come to a greater understanding of each other. In this case, it would be a greater understanding of yourself through the meals that maybe don't leave you feeling as good as you want to be feeling. For example, the times you feel like you overate or the times you underate, didn't nourish yourself adequately, which later led to a binge or the day that you skipped breakfast because you were in a rush. So you were hyper caffeinated and then really anxious and stressed. And you realize that this could have been avoided had you just had breakfast. This is all a learning experience. You're just coming to a greater understanding of yourself and your relationship with food is the gateway to that. It's what's going to help you think about how you're relating to your body. What is it asking from you? Learning to listen to its needs and wants without the external noise of society's expectations. I hope you can see how this analogy is perfectly applied to many things in life, including your intimate relationships. How do you not be perfect all the time, but rather lean into your imperfections as a gateway to growth? That is what stress eating can do for you. And in my opinion, that is a lot less painful than beating yourself up over every extra portion. I hope that makes sense. I hope my little tangents resonate with you. This was actually supposed to be a five-minute episode and turned into a 25-minute episode. You can probably hear how passionate I get about this topic, though I don't talk about it very much anymore. It's something that was a big part of my life, and I remember feeling that pain and shame and blame that comes with stress eating, emotional eating, binge eating, 
Like I said, I'll link more resources for you in the description, but I'm really glad that I had a chance to talk about it today as we head into the holiday season. If this was helpful for you, feel free to send me a message on Instagram. I would love to hear from you and I'll talk to you next time. Toodaloo! One last thing before we farewell, my self-lovers. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify. You can do this by searching for the show, Mary's Cup of Tea. Scroll all the way down on Apple Podcasts and you'll see stars where you can click one of the stars and leave a few kind words. It just means so much to me because I'm so behind the scenes when I'm podcasting, so I don't really get to see the impact of the show unless you leave a review. And on Spotify, there's just a button that says rate the show and it'll let you put however many stars you want. Your feedback helps the podcast grow. And as someone whose love language is words of affirmation, your kind words mean the world to me. Thank you so much for supporting the show and helping me spread the gift of self-love. I love you all so much and I will talk to you in next week's episode.